0: Perhaps I was talking when I should have been listening. No matter what happens, you've got to hang on. Johnny, relax. Now you give him everything he wants, you understand? Now let's see what happens when we mix these two elements together. Later and gentlemen, for the jury. You are now listening to the Relentless College Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome back to the Relentless College Entrepreneur. And it is episode is 78 or 79. I can't remember. You might have to look in the description. We will see. Um, I'm not 100%. I actually filmed already an episode and then I re-listened to it and I sat down and I thought about it and I'm like, I just felt like I needed to read a bit more, uh, go over the summaries and my notes a bit more before I set off. I went deep dive into a specific uh, chapter of the psychology of money, uh, which was risk and luck or luck and risk one of the two Um, and I realized that I want to summarize before I release that episode and I've learned a lot more uh, about that chapter and as I deep died dived not died I didn't die Luckily, I woke up this morning, praise God. And I highlighted and I really went through and nitpicked some more after the episode. And I'm like, I feel like it could be better. So we're going to be redoing that episode. But I wanted to give you guys one on Sunday. It's currently 8 p.m. here in Broad Ripple or Indianapolis, Indiana. And I thought it's Sunday. I want to give people the episode tonight to drop, to listen, start their Monday off rock solid. And if you're listening to this right now, I really want you to just have gratitude. I want you to think about it before we get into the book, Psychology of Money by Morgan Hazel. Um, Take deep breaths. You're going to kill this week. I really want you to sit and think because um, a guy that I was lucky enough to volunteer with as well as uh, have a party with, His name was uh, Caleb Swanigan, and he played for Purdue and then went to the Trailblazers and then went to the Memphis Grizzlies. And he recently passed away this past week. Now, I wasn't close to the guy. I wasn't super, super close to the guy. I met him once. I got to hang out with him. I got to shoot some hoops with him. We volunteered with my fraternity Phi Gamma Delta, and he joined us. um, And he brought all these kids uh, with the the YWMCA uh, actually it's the YWCA and basically these kids that are growing up not in the best area, Muncie, their parents don't have a whole lot of money We're playing basketball with them, just kind of mentoring helping them and talking to them and Caleb was there and uh, he was a really good guy he really was and it's unfortunate to see his passing but I believe there's something that we can uh, learn from this with this unfortunate event of Caleb passing away, it's that we don't know if we're gonna wake up we could have this rare heart condition we could have this weird underlying health conditions that we don't know of and we don't wake up the next morning and that's why it's important every single night to tell your loved ones you love them uh, to you know not push away mom dad or the family too much because the most valuable asset that we have as human beings is time and we have a limited amount of it that cannot be replenished by any means unless we eat healthy and we work out and that type of stuff and get that type of mindset but other than that we have a limited amount of time we we all have an expiration date unfortunately and that's just how it is and that's what makes life so precious so this episode is dedicated to Caleb Swanigan, and I have this guitar he broke at the party uh, in hanging in my garage currently. But uh, I, I wanted to open this episode, and again, I wasn't super close to this guy. I'm not like uh, building this type of sob story that I really was close to this guy. I wasn't, uh, but I knew he was a good guy, and I was, I was. Um, startled to hear this news that this guy that played college basketball for Purdue, he was an amazing person at Purdue. And then he got into the NBA and then he, he left the NBA and um, it kind of just spiraled down and there was, he had diabetes problems. I'm not going to get too much into it, but um, it was very unfortunate. So Caleb, uh, I, I hope you're listening to this up there and um I looked up to you one way or another because I saw you with the kids, the YWCA, and I realized this, just this honest, genuine, loving, caring person for these kids, getting them Subway chips, a bunch of stuff, treating them, playing basketball with them. You were just trying to have a good time and to bless you and all of your friends and your family around you. And I... I will um this this episode's a little bit tough in my head although I wasn't close it was uh the fact that this guy was carrying, and it's just like you can blink and uh you're gone or someone else is gone and that's just a part of life and what makes it so so delicate and why we have to treat it with the most uh every day so I want you on this Monday morning when you are probably listening to it or another morning or afternoon whenever it is and I want you to have the gratitude that you woke up and you're currently listening to this and to love your loved ones. Tell mom, your brothers, your sisters, your dad, whoever else, your friends, that you're happy um, and you love them. And because they're, everyone is going to have their time uh, when that time comes. So I just wanted to open up with that. I know it was a little bit of a more of a... Longer opening until we got into the psychology of money But I really wanted to open with that because I feel like some people need that and just really have that gratitude starting off on Monday morning And so let's let's deep dive into the psychology of money so basically from there's a whole lot I can talk about but basically in The essence of the psychology of money is that in economics textbooks and classes business classes? I've been in accounting finance Uh, business stats, uh, economics, uh, a bunch of other stuff as well, is that they talk about these statistics, the numbers, the this, the that, but they don't talk about the psychology of money. And that was the interesting thing into money. So um, shout out Dr. Snow. He really put me on economics. I really loved this book. Uh, And you should make your students read this, Nathaniel Snow, if you're listening to it. Um, So the way that the first thing opened up, and I loved how the book opened up because it was right on the, right on the, the path going 100 miles an hour, and it was no fluff. It was a, a great book. And I'm going to be deep diving into more specific chapters and later episodes probably, uh, but keep this a little bit brief. So basically, everyone has their own experience, and the way they invest and they use their money is from the psychology in which they grew up. Poor house, it mattered their income, their financial status growing up, their parents, uh, where they lived at, the demographics, the United States versus uh, Russia or somewhere else. No offense, Putin. but you know what I'm saying like there's there's a lot of different things that come into the psychology of money in which people invest their money so take a person that came from the Great Depression this person that lived through the Great Depression lost a lot of money they're more careful with their money they're not really looking to invest as much into the stock market and their wisdom is gonna be different from people in current generations wisdom from a 65 year old man versus a 30 30- or 20 year old man that maybe is a guru uh, financials or something um, it, they're going to be completely, for the most part, most likely going to be different because in the psychology in which they were brought up in the time period, which they were, they lived in. So the key message in this little, this little talk right here is everyone has their own experience of the economy and money in which the way they grew up in the time period. And luck may have it, luck p- plays a huge, huge, huge role in people's successes and people don't realize that. So we all like to think we know how the world works, but usually only experience a small silver, uh, sliver of uh, that reality. And the first thing to understand when it comes to the psychology of money is that we know less than we think we do. And then another main topic of it was the personal experience drives financial decision making. So the reality is, this neat idea that came up, and uh, in the book, say you see someone that's poor buys a lottery ticket, and there's a lot of people that are poor in that in that poverty, below poverty um, income status that buy lottery tickets. And now, if you're listening to this, you have a good, you probably have a phone. You're listening to it on your headphones in your car or something like that. It's going to be for the most part ninety percent, not everyone, but they're gonna be okay in life. They're, they're gonna have a roof over their head, they're gonna have a car, they're gonna have a job, they're gonna be in college, whatever it may be. And this is what I want you to think because we all, for the most part, um, now I'm not gonna jump and make a conclusion that we all have that making buying a lottery ticket rationalizes in our head it's it seems as if it's irrational and we for the most part at least I have been brought up to know that buying a lottery ticket or putting money in at the casino you're usually gonna lose money but it's if you go and just trying to have fun not even putting emotional ties to that money and you like gamble away on roulette $100 and you're like I'm done after I lose it and you lose it it's all good whatever but the, the thing behind what I'm getting at is that when, these poor, when people that are poor buy lottery tickets, we don't rationalize that. We're like, why are you buying a lottery ticket? Why, like, you, Couldn't you say that? The average person in the low-income stage spends about $400 on lottery tickets a year, and yet they don't have that $400 when an emergency comes up, majority of them, according to The Psychology of Money by uh, Morgan Hazel. And the fact of the matter is that it's shocking, but then we put our shoes, we put our feet in their shoes. It, we can't rationalize it. It's because these people work their butts off and they want to have this higher income status, but they don't maybe have the education, they don't have the drive, they don't have the motivation, or they don't know where to start or they're stuck and they just hope for a break. They wish for a break and they see all these people that have the money, that are driving these amazing cars or... Um, that come into wherever they're working at maybe a gas station or something like that and then they have a nice car and they're always wishing upon this and they just wish they could have what other people have but they can't because they don't make enough money and the only break that they could have is winning the lottery and then I sat there and I rationalized it I thought huh You know what? That does make sense because from my standpoint, I grew up in a medium um, middle class home. And I I mean, I grew up and I and if you listen to my previous episodes, I didn't always have it good. My family wasn't always in the middle class by any means, but I'm not uh, using that as an excuse or anything. And they'll fall into risk and luck when we get into that in a little bit. And I didn't rationalize this because I've always been taught something. And it was the psychology in my head with money that I rationalized that buying a lottery ticket and spending money at the casino is irrational and that you're not gonna win. And then I put it into a lower income person's head and stepped in their shoes and thought about it. And I'm like, that would make sense because this is your break. You can't. You don't have um, the luxuries of going on vacation. You don't have the luxuries of getting some other things. So it's a long shot, but you rather have this long shot than not have any shot at all and just save a little bit of money on. So it makes sense. And the, the takeaway from this section is that some of our craziest thoughts can be rationalized or what we think is crazy is rational to another person due to their psychology in which they grew up. So another key point was the economic concepts we use today are still historical infants. There is a lot of things that have happened in the past thousands of years when money came uh, about. And I really want again, I'm going to restate it, is the economic concepts we use today are still historical infants. We're still learning about money and the first money was dated back to 600 BC when the key the <laughs> the king of Alades of Ladi uh and Iron Age kingdom in today's turf, Turkey minted their own coins and that was the first economic uh, concept of money that we saw. And before the Second World War, most Americans worked until they died. Life expectancy was lower back then, of course, and even then half of all men above the age of 65 still participated in labor in the 1940s. And things change constantly, so like in the decade in which the average monthly social security check rose above a thousand dollars adjusted for inflation uh, was in the 1980s that means um, oh going into my notes again, lost my spot, I apologize the 410k was a principle of funding retirement this didn't come into existence until 1978 while the roth ira retirement scheme was only introduced in 1998 other key ideas and practices aren't much older hedge funds only took off a quarter of a century ago and index funds just 50 years old even consumer debt like mortgages car loans and credit cards one of the primary drivers of the economic growth of the United States only became a commonplace after GI Bill made it an easier for the average American to borrow money in 1944. If we're bad at financial planning and decision making, it's not, only because, it's not because we're crazy, it's because we're greenhorns. And then it kind of goes into the, the, the luck and the success of the role of financial success. So let's think about this. Um, which is a little bit of a different topic again I want to state that message so it gets through luck plays a bigger role in financial success than you might think so luck is a tricky topic few investors and entrepreneurs would deny that it plays a role in their theory but it's hard to quantify the extent to which it's responsible for one firm prospering and another failing we also tend to think that it's rude to attribute other successes to blind chance as a result we often end up ignoring the role of luck when it comes to financial decision-making that's a mistake and it deep dives into some other things and the investors billionaires I really think that cultivated and really brought around what uh, we need to bring luck to the table more often because we look at all these billionaires and we look up to them Elon Musk Bill Gates Uh, warren buffett uh, you know all these crazy people albert einstein if you didn't make a whole lot of money um, you know pablo picasso all these famous people and then we have to rationalize the luck factor and even all of them bill gates literally says that it's luck luck played a huge role in this and i'm gonna deep dive more into luck and risk and luck uh, in a later episode that's actually when i was working on before this one but wanted to post the broader uh, summarized version of the psychology of money before I dove into that chapter and dissected it. Um, it was the thinking that we think that if we do this, there's an equation to get this. And we just do this equation and then we're a millionaire. Now the, from what I know, and again, I might not know a lot because according to the book, and I do believe in the book, what I learned something was that we know a lot less than we think we know, especially when it comes to money now I'm investing in a, I'm building my emergency fund I'm building my six to eight month uh, emergency fund as well which is a lot of saving I'm not investing currently I do have money in the market but I'm not adding to that as much as I will in the future especially with the stock prices being so volatile right now but I'm not gonna get into that we're talking about the psychology of money what I was getting at was the fact that I think Roth IRAs is what I'm going for because it uh, the stock market has had an average return of 12% since it's been opened, although like the dot-com burst, the recessions, you know, all these financial cris- crises that have happened. When you zoom out from our volatile stock market currently, we have a 12%. Uh, increase in our funds and when you bring in compounding effect you make a lot more money even uh, in ups and downs and the whole idea is if you keep it in and you retire at 65 in a Roth IRA and then it's taxed, um, you will really retire a millionaire it's the easiest formula to do it but people don't save like that and put it towards a Roth IRA until later that's why it's important to invest while you're young but again I'm saving right now so I am not by any means spoiler alert I'm not a financial analysis and I don't um, I, I don't I'm not perf- like have a license or anything in that this is from my books and my knowledge that I have spent a decent amount of time reading hundred plus books and financial literature and life literature a bunch of other stuff so what I'm saying is I'm trying to invest in Roth IRAs but there's no there's no formula to become a millionaire and so many people are looking including me I'm guilty as all by all means And it's this formula this is equation how to become a millionaire and it isn't about the money it's about having the financial freedom to if I want to go to Bonnaroo I can go to Bonnaroo if I want to get a Shelby GT I can get a Shelby GT my my dream car Uh, you know it's it's not about money because there's a lot more than money because uh, time is one of the most valuable assets. If someone works their whole life 50 years of working their butts off never spends time with their family retires a millionaire what do they have what do they have to enjoy it's this time they gave up with their family was it worth the sacrifice that they made to become a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever and that leverages into the factor and as well as luck which is what we're getting at what's more important see our culture in it, obsesses over this success and it's not much help here, unfortunately, but Forbes doesn't celebrate brilliant investors who went broke because they were unlucky and the market took them as a sudden nosedive. It does celebrate the second rate or reckless investors who got lucky and made a fortune. The only the people that made a fortune get the spotlight. And that's what we see in this media, this mainstream. We see these people that are advertising. I became a millionaire in six months. Me, 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 me. I'm just like, shut. Oh, my gosh. I just want to like literally like... I hate those people but uh these financial gurus that basically prey off people to take their course and that's how they make money and you know not everyone's like that i'm not saying that because i haven't do super deep into that type of guru type of stuff but uh i can tell you right now that it's uh a lot of luck plays into that as well if you're drop shipping or whatever if it's the right time right time period or whatever but um and then there's people. Do you have ten thousand dollars in your bank account? Well, I can show you how to become a millionaire and shake manage. It's like if everyone would do it as simple as it is. If everyone could become a millionaire, everyone would be doing it, and that's the, that's a simple of the fact. And it takes a lot more work than people are willing to put in to become a millionaire in most cases, and having a lot of luck that plays into it. And you know, luck doesn't get looked at too much. And Bill Gates. So new topic. Uh, focusing on broad patterns rather than specific cases can help you make better calls so let's go back to Bill Gates Bill Gates went to Lakeside uh, something like that Lake something uh, high school this was one of the better high schools growing up and they had computers when they were coming available even though they were thousands of dollars in the average household income could not afford a computer well Bill Gates got lucky uh, behind that, and we'll dive deep more in another episode of that uh, luck, that risk and luck type of thing. But Bill Gates once said that success is a lousy teacher. As Gates sees it, success success <laughs> tricks p- smart people into overlooking the role of luck, which in turn makes them think that they can't lose. Parado- paradoxically, I just butchered that word that's a pretty surefire way to assure that you do lose. And when you don't rationalize luck into it, it you, you think that you can't lose, but you can. And this book went into, I'll get into examples in a later episode, but people that have made a fortune, hundreds of millions of dollars in today's money, and they've lost every single penny and lost all of their earnings because of greed. And they believed that they were at the top, they were the smartest, and that they could invest in anything. Now, I'm not downsiding anyone because I know very less probably than all these investors knew, but the thing was is that they, they took advantage of what they didn't think was luck that they thought was their success. And we can't foresee everything that happens in the stock market markets, or making money, or starting a business, because it takes the average entrepreneur seven businesses to get one successful business. There's a lot of luck that plays involved. It's the time, if you have the money, the capital, if you're in the right place at the right time, there's a lot of things that fall into this continuous life cycle of moving, billions and trillions of moving parts in these actions that we have with people every day, the behavior in which we display on a day-to-day basis, the people that we meet, we run into, whatever it may be, there's a lot of luck factors and there's thousands trillions of things that can happen within a day. If you leave one minute early, if you leave one minute less, there's a whole lot of moving parts that you don't see. And success and risk plays a huge role into that. And I really want you to see that through this because we can study Bill Gates, but the honest truth and even he says is a lot of luck ran into it. Uh, Warren Buffett as well. He said a lot of luck played into the timing in which I entered the market and what I invested upon. And he said, if you did the same exact thing that I did Uh, when I first started off now, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be as wealthy as myself. And he wasn't being cocky, it was the fact that he knew luck played a huge role in the time he invested, in the time he went after things, and all these billionaires know luck played into their favor. Bill Gates, for example, when I'm going back to that high school, he was able to look at computers. Whereas if he didn't go to that high school and he went to a a different high school, maybe computers would have never been his thing. And this continuously moving parts. He had the luck to go to this school that his father um, sent him to because he was a lawyer. And he was in the United States, which we are so lucky to be upon. I know a lot of people listen outside the United States, but there's amazing countries as well. The United States isn't the only one that's good. Um, And the thinking of this is that the luck uh, in these thousands of moving parts, United States went to the specific high school, loved computers and started dissecting the computers and then went to Harvard and then like was dropped out of Harvard because he realized he had something going and building his own computer and his own team. And he had these guys in this moving part that he fell across in high school that he knew was going to be like an amazing team and co-founders of the team and going to the high school warren buffett did and having a computer was a one in a million chance let me explain according to the uh the book and the statistic of it was that if you were bill gates around his age group around uh, under 20 in high school and you had a computer it was one in a million at the time out of all the people and then there was also kent uh his best friend which a lot of people might not know but Uh, Kent was a really good friend of Bill Gates growing up and uh, they spread a little bit further apart in high school but they knew they were going to come back they were going to go to the same college they were going to start a business together it's what they dreamed upon and these guys were so close Bill Gates and Kent and Kent got the other side of the roulette that Bill Gates got and it was the fact that one day he went mountain biking and he never came back he died and the chances of someone getting in a mountain biking accident and dying is about one in a million. See, 12 people die in the United States every year from mountaineering accidents. And Kent was one of them. One in a million to die to that and uh, versus like the people biking, that whole statistic and everything like that. Versus the other side, one in a million going to that high school that Bill Gates did, having a computer that I was able to dissect, one in a million. So these these flip tables in which we think that was the risk of mountain biking and this was the, the luck of Bill Gates. There's a flip coin in every day's life of roulette and we might not get another day. And that's why I started this with that gratitude that I wanted you guys to have. But I'll deep dive later into uh, another episode of success because there are a lot more stories that go into that. So another point was that envy can make you reckless. Capitalism is great at two things, generating wealth And envy we're always gonna want more and I remember watching this YouTube video and it was this 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 it wasn't even explaining anything there was a guy that was sitting on a bus and then a guy with a bike rode past him and the guy sitting at the bus said man I wish I could have a bike to get transportation and the guy on the bike rode and then he saw a car that wasn't the best-looking car but it got that guy point A to point B and that guy on the bike said I wish I had a car And the guy in the car looks over and there's a guy driving a nicer, newer car. And he says, I man. I wish I had that nicer, newer car. And that guy in that nicer, newer car looked over and it was a guy driving a Porsche 911. And he said, I wish I had a Porsche 911 or that money. And then the guy in the Porsche 911 sees a guy with a a super exotic car pull up a Lamborghini Aventador and says man I wish I could have money to do that see there's this never-ending psychology of wanting more and it's just what we envy as human beings for the most part I try to separate myself from that and try to not envy money as much as possible but to have the financial success that I I want to have to do what I want to do and live life and give my family what um, I hope and wish that they would love to enjoy with that type of money and See, envy kills us because we always want more. And now that there, there's a specific story that there's this guy that has $100 million. He could have retired and said, I'm good, whatever. But this guy took advantage of luck and risk and ended up... Basically losing a hundred million dollars in a span of a year, I believe he just put balls of the wall and like started investing like crazy and thought he was this. And don't get me wrong, I'm not underplaying this guy. <laughs> you know, like he has a hundred million, I don't. So, well, at the time he did. So, you know, I'm not saying or underplaying him or anything like that. What I'm getting at is this story, which is important to dissect, and it was that this guy really did not think that luck played into the role he thought it was his he was able just to have this luck and not this luck he was he thought that he was just a genius and that he could go after it and make a killing he lost everything and unfortunately um, killed himself and see when we envy more and more and more and never never is enough uh, that's when it can kind of get to you and that's life's roulette and sometimes you don't think it's luck and you think it's just you but a lot of the time it's being at the right place at the right time and that luck of that coin hitting heads. And that's something that we have to realize and rationalize upon is a luck plays a huge role. Again, that I'm, I'm coming back into that main topic is that luck plays a huge role in what we might not think. And the psychology in which people grew up uh, in which the the reason why they have the wealth that they have or they don't have the wealth that they have. And a key message of this little chapter, this little key takeaway was that the envy can make you reckless. And the guy's name was Radha Gupta and Radha Gupta lost a hundred million dollars. And he just wanted to become a billionaire and he just kept on going and going and going and going. And then he did insider trading, which isn't allowed. It's illegal. And you know what? I don't know if he killed himself or not. Someone in the book killed himself because they, uh, uh, let's see. I'm currently throws up a lot of things. Get worse leaving them on the table. Okay. Well, actually, Radha uh, Gupta did not kill himself. I'm sorry. That that was someone else in the book. Um, but the same thing. He did insider trading. Lost all that money. The uh, F.B.I. Whoever confiscated that money and he was sentenced. Uh, and lost a huge amount of his wealth because of a stupid decision. And seeing that risk in that case, in luck, should have never been done. He didn't. Uh, Radhagupta did not care about that or the law. And then it came and bit him back in the butt, and uh, actually bit him a lot more than he could uh, even imagine. And he lost more than he made from this insider trading. So. Another key t- point of this book is that um, amassing a fortune is easier than keeping a hold of it. And I thought this was interesting. And the Radha Gupta story was the fact that this guy became a millionaire, a multimillionaire, had hundreds of millions of dollars, and he just wanted to become a billionaire and he envied it. Uh, he envied money and i'm a christian and i've been learned taught to never envy anything besides uh god and that was or not god just don't envy um money or someone or someone else because you are you and there's no one else to be taken everyone else plays themselves in this life and that's what we have to realize and to not want more i mean not always to want more of course you can want more uh, if you make like $40,000 a year, and I'm not saying you can't want more if you make half a million a year or anything like that, but when is enough enough? And that should be something you maybe ask yourself. And there's plenty of people that have made this a mass amount of fortune and a lot of examples in the book, which I'll get into again in a later episode, this is starting to become a longer one. Um, and it's easier to hold on. It's easier to make the money than it is to hold on to it. And I, I can see that myself because I worked all the college and the money's all gone, but hey. Uh, we live, well I also had to pay for a lot of stuff so um, but that's besides the point point. and let's see there are lots of Livermore's out there which was another story I'll get into um, through their stories aren't aren't always tra- tragic Around 40% of all publicly listed companies lose their entirety value over time. And the Forbes 400 list of Americans' richest people has a 20% turnover per decade, excluding cases of death <clears throat> and family transfers of money. So how do you keep what you already have? In another word, per, uh, perseverance. The entrepreneurs who do best stick around for a long time without wiping out. What they all have in common is a little thing called fear. As a multi-billionaire venture capitalist, Michael M- Mortzen puts it, when you're scared of losing, you look at potential wins through a different lens. Few gains are largely enough to justify risking losing everything you already have. And when you take that view, you are much more likely to make better calls having instilling that fear multi-billionaire said that so (laughs) i think that's worth listening to you can be wrong half the time and still make a fortune so there was this guy quick story um he bought a ton of art now a lot of the art ended up being duds and after holding on to him for 40 years but one of the arts that he had was a guy from a guy named pablo picasso if you don't know who he is Pablo Picasso. I'm not getting into that. Uh, Pablo Picasso, though, like that was that was the whole thing, though. Like one, one good investment could overturn twelve bad investments and could compound and make you a lot more money. So again, you can be wrong half the time and still make a fortune so it's diversification in which they the the book calls it which is pretty important but again luck plays a role into it a lot of other moving parts I can't tell you exactly what to invest to become a millionaire all I know what I'm doing is a Roth IRA and I'm putting and maximizing as much money as I can put in that Roth IRA because once you invest at the age of 25 ish and retire at 65 and you put like 350 dollars a month in I believe you'll retire with about 1.3 million dollars and I'm chilling off that if I can do that so um, that's the goal and that's a plan that's a long term investment with lower risk compared to individual stocks, a lot lower risk. So with the strategy of that, you're wrong half the time and you're uh, you can be wrong half the time and make a still make a fortune is the strategy implies that all investments uh, to all investments, call it the long tail, the tendency of a small number of events to account for the majority of outcomes. There's a lot of complex math behind this principle but it's simple through when you boil through it and down to the essentials. Basically, when you get a few things right, you can afford to get more things wrong. Failure is inevitable. What really matters is the nature of your success. Put differently, when you're sitting on one Pablo Picasso, you don't worry about the 99 duds in your collection. Boom, bada bing, love it. Now let's go into the summary of The Psychology of Money by Morgan Hazel. So the summary is that the final decision making is a lot messier in real world than economics tech books may tell you. Lots of decisions like buying lottery tickets when you're broke aren't rational, but they do make sense in your own way. The same goes for investment choices, which are often driven by people's formative experience of the economy in their early adulthood, rather than cool appraisals of current market conditions. Put simply, financials, Financial calls are entangled with psychological factors. So what's the best way forward? Well, we accept that luck plays a role in success, learn to fear losing what we already have, and hedge our bets. That's going to be wrapping up this episode. But before we leave, I thought there was something that I came across that was worth sharing and that I had to leave you with. All right, disclaimer, that took me like 30 minutes to find this video that I thought I saved but I didn't. Disclaimer to the people listening from Spotify, Apple Music, or whatever uh, podcast uh, platform you are that this audio that I'm about to display is on public forums and this is not copyrighted from an interview but more or less is on many other pages that you need to check out if you're gonna take mine down. which I don't think will be the case. I wanted to say it out loud, but basically I thought he summarized it well, so let's listen to it together. You can buy a house, but not a home. With money you can buy a clock, but not time. With money you can buy a bed, but not sleep. With money you can buy food, but not appetite. With money you can buy a doctor, but not good health. With money you can have insurance, but not safety. And this is the problem that we all have. There are things that you cannot buy with material wealth, with money. I thought that was awesome. I thought I'd leave the episode with this. And I uh, really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It took a lot of time and effort to do this, reading a book, the summary, uh, listening to it multiple times going over my notes, a bunch of stuff, highlighting it. So I, I really hope you guys enjoy it. If you really did, please leave a review. It helps me a ton and it makes it helps other people listen to this podcast, which I would truly enjoy if you listen to. And the takeaway from that video was that money can't buy everything in this formula that we want to seek and find this easy formula to become a millionaire in money. When it comes down to it, there's not such thing. Everyone has their own journey in this trillion parts of moving life that you could run into someone and the coincidence becomes this is your partner CEO and you make a a huge company and it all came down to you went to Starbucks this day or maybe your girlfriend asked you out of Starbucks your destiny partner in my case I was lucky when I went to Starbucks because I never go to Starbucks but these moving parts in life that are coincidence um, I don't think a coincidence I think is a destined path in my Christian values and that are set and laid out but there's all these moving parts and Um, you know tomorrow could be death it could be making more money it could be a lot of different things and it's to always have that gratitude that you woke up this morning and you're happy but I want you to really remember that money isn't everything financial success is great uh, and I think everyone should work towards but it's not everything and I think from that quote we can gain that I hope you enjoyed listening and till next time cue the outro This has been the Relentless College Entrepreneur Podcast. Catch you guys next time.